24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast, brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. Hello again, everybody. I'm your host, Peter Graves, and thank you so much for being with us. Our guest today, and this is going to be fun for this episode, is Mike Pinocchi, my longtime partner on race weekend at the finish line. It's going to be wonderful to talk to him. And Mike Pinocchi from your home in Las Vegas. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Well, thank you very much, Peter. It's it's great to be here. Really like to have you with us. So, uh, Mike, um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, you grew up uh, not far from the Bay Area. Uh, how did you get into running, Mike? Well, I got into running uh, in 1968. I went out for cross country, and it's funny, Pete, that I didn't even letter in the sport um, that fall. I was the number 13th man on the team and the top 12 lettered, and Obviously, I, I had to have a coach that uh, hung in there with me and believed in me, and I went out for track, and um, I wasn't having a very good track season running the mile and the two mile. You had to have a certain number of, of uh, actual uh, points, dual meet points, and when what happened, Pete, I didn't have enough at the end of the year, but going into the, the finals, the league finals, if you just got one point, one point in any event in the league finals, you automatically lettered. And the two mile was the second to last event. And I jumped into the two mile coach Buffkin who was my coach at the time. They weren't expecting anything out of me. I got fifth. I automatically let her and that one point, even though it was a team effort to win the title for the freshman sophomore team, that one point wasn't expected. And, and basically we got under the bus afterwards, coach brought me up to the front and, and, uh, and I tell you what, it was so motivating that he, he acknowledged me and recognized my performance uh, that one point basically won the team title. And so these are things that happen in, in, a, in a runner's life uh, to, to keep you motivated. And you have someone that takes you under your wing. And, and it's just, uh, it's, I mean, that was 53 years ago, Pete. And I still remember it to this day. So That's, a, that's amazing. Did you try other sports, Mike, when you were in grade school or high school? Yeah, I, I played basketball, CYO basketball. I played soccer. I played baseball. I was really good, but I was kind of diminutive. I was a small athlete. And, you know, going into high school, you know, you wanted to play football. Obviously, I was too small. I got cut during the winter for soccer my freshman year, but I was the the, the soccer uh, basically manager for, for the, the coaches and um, and basically went out for track. And I just hung in there. Just I was really, you know, you know, I had. I, you know, the persistency and the perseverance to, to hang in there and just, just worked hard at work ethic was so important to, to excel. Uh, your story, Mike, uh, which I know well, is, is uh, one with some enormous highs and, and some lows. And uh, in every case, uh, you bounce back and uh, you met adversity. Um, and, and we'll talk about that as we go along. So uh, uh, you ran through uh, part of the high school then, and, and you went to Oklahoma State, uh, ran uh, there, ran cross country. Um, what were your years like at Oklahoma State? 
You know, they were, I mean, obviously my running evolved through high school and was able to get a scholarship. And, and that was pretty important to me because my parents couldn't afford to, to get, you know, to get me to college and, um, you know, and graduating in four years, you know, running fall cross country, indoor track, as well as outdoor track, you know, that's a huge undertaking for any athlete at the NCAA division one uh, level. And so I ran really well to hang on to my scholarship, but, but I think that uh, that was just another stepping stone. College was a stepping stone for me to my, you know, marathon career evolved from there when I got out of college and I started training at altitude consistently and training with a lot of good competitive uh, runners as training partners. So, Mike, uh, at Oklahoma State, I mean, you continued to develop this passion. You continued to develop the physiological base. And at what point did you decide that the marathon might be your thing? Well, I had success in my first uh, – obviously, I ran a couple of marathons in high school. My senior year, I ran a 241 marathon. I think I was ranked uh, – if you were to rank high school, you know, at that time, I think I was ranked in the top 10. Um, but typically, you don't run marathons when you're in high school. You wait till later years to even make that attempt. But my first attempt was the Nike OTC marathon in, in 1977. And tremendous uh, training that went involved there at altitude up at Lake Tahoe. Uh, one of my coaches at the time was Tom Von Ruden, uh, an Olympian in 1968 in the 1500 meters. And trained with uh, Johnny Halberstead, Bernard Rose. Uh, we all planned to go up to Eugene, and we all ran fairly well up there. We all bro- I ran 217 in my first really focused uh, marathon. And uh, this was the era of, of uh, Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers and, and you know, Benji Durden. And there, there were a lot of really, really uh, good runners. And, of course, you also uh, came of age – really during the running boom. I mean, there, there was, I, I, I remember it so well, I, I, being in Minneapolis and this plethora of, uh, of races that were uh, developing. Um, and, and you were really, really good. So it, 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 I want to, um, you had some great, uh, and I think 18 220 marathons. Uh, that speaks a lot for itself. What, what do you think about that when you look back and think of that? Well, if I try to run a mile at that pace, I, I don't think I can come close to it today. But but looking back, uh, you know, it was the the passion as well as the perseverance that and the and the fire, you know, the to be be so competitive and and to you know self coach, you know, most of the time and and you know driving down from Tahoe down to the Bay Area to run 10Ks, 15Ks, 25Ks, and sometimes 5Ks. You know, it was you had a support crew. My parents lived in the Bay Area, so they would always come out to watch. But uh, you know, it was just you know you have that competitive drive inside you, and uh, and so I just continue to to improve in the marathon. Uh, a lot of consistent performances between the 214, the 216 range. I was waiting for that one breakthrough, Pete, and. Then I started embarking upon some challenges with, uh, uh, you know, uh, an irregular heart rate, which was exercise induced. And, you know, it it was very troublesome because it did impact my performance. And I went to, you know, several cardiologists and tried to figure this whole thing out and was able to um, document the type of arrhythmia I had. And 
And, you know, the, the, the news at that time was extremely challenging for me to accept um, because I wasn't ready to step down from competitive running. Um, but they, uh, they were told, I was told that I was taking a huge risk uh, to continue on. And obviously today there's a lot of procedures that can eliminate these arrhythmias for runners and, and have, and even my, my younger brother, Tom, who you have met, he has, he had an exercise induced arrhythmia and he just loved the bike and he hung in there for a while. Then finally he made a decision to have it ablated. And so he had the procedure done about three years ago and he has been arrhythmia free the whole time. And, and so it's a uh, new technology and uh, it, it's too bad. It wasn't available for me at that time. I probably would have been able to continue my, my uh, competitive career at the time. So. All right. And I do want to revisit that subject in a minute here, but, but it leads uh, me to when we both met, and that was 1984 at Grandma's Marathon. Mike, you had a stunning second place there. Uh, and uh, tell me first, how did you happen to pick Grandma's? Uh, what what were you hearing about it when you arrived in 84? So in 1980, Pete, I ran the trials up in, uh, up in New York. And, uh, and so... Uh, I ran really well there. So then 84 comes around and, and I was in really good shape and I just had a bad race at, at the trials and, and uh, Scott Keenan called me and um, he invited me to come to grandma's. He knew that I, I had a, you know, a, a tough time at, uh, at the trials and would you like to put some of that fitness to, to work? Uh, we'd love to have you come in. And, and so I flew in the day before grandma's and, um, and I knew I was in really good shape, Pete, and I flew in and, and I ran well the next day. I was, I was prepared and, and it was a great day for me. And second place you got, which is extraordinary. Uh, and, um, so what was, what was the feeling that you discovered, uh, about Duluth? You've been back so many times since I think you and I've worked together probably at least 30 years, which in itself is extraordinary at the finish line. But uh, tell me a, a little bit about your thoughts because grandma's is always listed among the most friendly. Uh, it's, it is a, a coming out for the twin ports area. Uh, you know, it's a long winter up there. You know that. And, and, you know, we usually have great weather uh, in Duluth at the time of the race. So uh, what was your takeaway uh, maybe a little bit less by your second place, but more your takeaway about the area, Mike. Well, the area, I, I heard about it quite often from Dick Beardsley. And, you know, I've been uh, at some training camps up in Colorado Springs with Dick and uh, stayed friends with him. And obviously Dick had tremendous success at Grandma's uh, several years and, and still is part of that race, you know, today. And, and, um, and so, you know, going into it and just seeing how kind Scott Keenan was and his entire team that he worked with. And, and even till today, um, you know, the entire team that uh, assembles grandmas every year is it's, they're so receptive. Everybody knows each other. And so when you, when I go back to, to Duluth every year, I can count on one thing and not a lot of change occurs in Duluth. And I love that. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, in our personal lives, in our, in our professional lives, we see so much change. And it's nice to see when you come back, you can start off where you left off. And like we have done the last 35 years. And then grandma's is just a, the fans, uh, you know, at the finish line. And it's just, it's a big, big event. 
that's, you know, so embraced by the city. And, you know, I just love going back. I, you know, because Kitty and I, we drive into, you know, we fly into uh, Minneapolis and we take the nice three and a half hour drive up to Duluth. And we just love when we crest that hill and we see two harbors from atop that hill, you know, as we come down the interstate. And it's just a, it's a great feeling. And it's amazing how the years have gone by one after another. Yeah, there, there is something that's extraordinarily uh, electric uh, <clears throat> about that finish line and, and that whole scene. And, of course, the people contribute to it. Uh, and, obviously, the runners do, too. It's not just a race for elite competitors, world-class competitors, although we have them. But uh, it's something that um, is really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I You know, the, at the first many years of Grandma's, it, you know, they had that tagline, you know, uh, small town charm, world-class event. It truly is a world-class event, but now it's the people's race. And it's just not who finishes first, you know, anymore. It's, it's, it's really about everybody that starts on that starting line up in two harbors and then the welcoming, you know, at the very end uh, with everyone that finishes. There are so many stories to be told afterwards with family and friends that have that are there at the finish line to support as well as yourself and myself. You know, we start our day very early and, and we stay for, up, I think up to six uh, hours uh, of the marathon. And, and we really are, are, are fired up just as much as we are when we start at the, at the when the race uh, gun goes off. Yeah, it is. It, it's amazing. And, and I, I, I just backtrack a little bit. You, you did two Olympic trials in 80 and 84. You uh, ran New York marathon, uh, in 82, uh, 2.16.11 was your time there. Um, Boston, you did a 2.18. That race, uh, I think, won by Bill Rogers. Uh, and then you did another Boston that was quite a bit better, 2.12.11. Do you recall that? No. My, my, uh, in 1980, I, I needed a qualifying time, and I went to Boston, and I was finished 10th in 2.18.59. And then uh, I ran in 81 as well as in 83, I believe. And, and those two, I, I ran faster. You know, I ran my, my best at, Mer- at, at Boston was about 214. And, um, and that got me 31st place. I think I, think I was like um, 17th place uh, in 81 with the 215. Uh, Boston, too, is a special race with its own wonderful, unique character. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. I mean, there's so much history there and, and, you know, it's a point A to point B course, just like grandma's. And there's so many people on that, that course at Boston and as well as at, at grandma's too. And, uh, and, and people are so knowledgeable about the sport. So. Yeah. And, um, and then, and you'll have to tell me which year that this arrhythmia came up, but you're basically at uh, kind of the height of your career when you noticed this, what were the, what were some of the first signs, Mike? Well, you know, a marathoning is typically, you know, an aerobic sport, um, you know, to go, you know, from, you know, zero from the starting line to the finish. And, you know, at the level that I was running, you had to be prepared to, uh, you know, respond to maybe four or five surges during, you know, the, the strategy of, of what goes on into that race. And, and so I was having some issues 
uh, even during marathons, uh, even at grandma's in 85, I had this arrhythmia, but I had to slow down. And so what happens with the arrhythmia, your heart rate goes up to over 200 beats per minute and there's no cardiac output. And so obviously you get a little short of breath and you just get tired and you just, you just can't breathe. The cardiac output is not feeling the muscles for the oxygen that you need to keep moving. So, but then it would convert itself back and then I would be back into the race. But, but by then, you know, it it took about three or four minutes. Uh, But then I was at Houston marathon uh, in 86 in January, it was in pretty decent shape going to grad school and it happened twice and I nearly passed out. And that was uh, the key point right there is when I made a decision, I had to get something done. And Mike, the doctors are telling you that running at that level was going to be extremely dangerous, right? Very risky. Yeah, very risky. You just don't know what's going to happen, but it was happening more frequently than not. So, mm-hmm. and, and of course it was, obviously I was just scared to death. Even, you know, I would have a, an extra heartbeat just at rest and I would be so scared uh, of what, am I going to die? And um, because it had a, a complete control over me. And, and you know your body very well, but, but you also have a master's degree in exercise physiology from UNLV. Um, and I, I remember, you know, you talking about this. And um, it, it's interesting because um, when Scott Keenan realized uh, what was going on, he's I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mike, but basically he said, and I want you to comment on this, um, you know, Mike, we really like you. That's, again, the personalized aspect of this race. Um, And we want to invite you to come in and work with Peter. That's me uh, at the finish line. Um, And in doing so, it was the end of a stellar career. How disappointed were you? And we'll get to the elation in a minute about coming back to grandma's. But how disappointed were you that this was going to really limit and, and book the bookends on a on a really strong career? Yeah. So in 85, Peter, a good physician friend of mine came to me up at Lake Tahoe and he said, you know, Mike, uh, eventually, you know, running's not going to pay the bills for your a, a fulfilling career. And he really encouraged me to go back to grad school with my interest in exercise physiology. And so I got accepted to UNLV and went there in 85. And so I was still competing. I I, I came to grandma's in 85. I got, I think I was uh, 12th or so. I ran like, you know, 218. Um, And so I went to school and I was trying to do two world-class things at the time. And that's when 86, I was in grad school. And then of course the arrhythmias occurred and I wanted to come back to grandma's and, and Scott obviously, you know, recognized, gosh, we still love to have Michael come in. So he, he brought me in as a guest speaker. And of course that guest speaking took place at the tents down. It's more, you know, uh, updated now and how we do all the guest speakers uh, in, in a big, in a big hall room where everybody can be there, whoever wants to attend. Um, And so, but Scott said, well, when you're done with your speaking uh, commitment, we'd love to have you come to the finish line and work with Peter. And so that's how it all started, Pete. And in, I think in 86, when I was able to work with you and and provide additional color to your commentary at the finish line. And and I hung out with you for a long period of time that day. And and that just opened up a door and and Scott wanted wanted me back uh, to help out. Yeah. And, and you, 
you know so much about this sport in, in ways that, uh, that I didn't, that I, I think professionally speaking, um, we were a very good complement to each other. Um, you know, we, we try to give the elite race very much its due. And we talk about physiology and split times and all manner of things. But I was also very impressed how, and that speaks to, I, I, I think, the kindness uh, uh, that you have, Mike, that you were able to um, uh, shift gears and just call everybody in with the same graciousness and style. Well, thank you, Pete. You know, it's just, uh, I, lo I love grandmas. I mean, there's no other race like it. And, and, and working with you at the finish line and, and, and all the people that, that we've worked with in the past, I mean, it's just, I, I, it's, I'm looking so forward. It's been almost two years now that we haven't been into the Duluth area and just keeping our fingers crossed that this, this event uh, does come to fruition this year. Yeah, well, uh, Mike, uh, uh, for me, you know, having done grandma's once, and I, I think it was like 415 or something, um, you know, again, not an elite runner. Um, I, I have always felt that I was able to um, put a special amount of effort in for, for those that were not running elite times, shall I say. And, um, and you do too. And that encouragement and the love of the sport, I, I, I think just shines through in what you do. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that, you know, my competitiveness uh, at, at that national international level uh, was ceased back in 86, but I still ran competitively, you know, in five K's and I, and I, and I, I did run uh, the five K several uh, the times in a row up at, uh, up at grandma's and um, the urban 5k. And it was just a, uh, it's a wonderful event. Of course, I wasn't up front, um, but I was close to the front with some, you know, some of the masters and, but uh, still had that competitive drive, but didn't, didn't risk, uh, put myself in any risk. And it's not marathoning. It wasn't running 120, 130 miles a week and things like that. Mike, do you, do you have your own set of memories or anything that stands out? Uh, in your announcing over the years that that you felt was particularly compelling well Doug Curtis <laughs> I mean that year that he won I believe he was in his you know he was 40 and, and he won the uh, overall and and just to see Doug's you know his grin and he, he gritted out that race and he came across that finish line victorious with his arms raised and you know it was just uh there's so many moments like that that, that we've seen in the past and uh it's i mean even in the half marathon and, and 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 knowing that you know doug is still part of this event um you know over the past few years and and i don't know that's first that comes to mind and but but there's also you know the wheelers and you know and the stories that they tell and and to see how competitive we've called some phenomenal races, Pete, when, when you look at the wheelers, I mean, we're talking about it five inches away from, from first to second. And, and then of course the, the women's, I mean, it's, it's so incredibly competitive as well. You know, down, we've had some close finishes in all the races across the board and it's just been so wonderful to be able to call those uh, close uh, races. Mike, I want to ask you about maybe uh, Minnesota's favorite son in, in running, uh, Dick Beardsley, uh, and certainly Gary Bjorklund has also been a, a major player in all of that, too. 
you know Dick very, very well. To me and the story that he has told has been simply extraordinary. And he had to overcome enormous odds. He still comes regularly and speaks uh, to all of the people there. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I note that people are, are simply, they're, they're, they're crying when they leave. They're, they have heard an extraordinary story. Um, and, and I'm quite certain Dick will be back again this year doing the same thing. Uh, he, he's really one of my most unforgettable people. What, what's your take on the man we call very affectionately Dickie B? <laughs> yeah, Dickie B, good buddy. Uh, you know, Dick has had some tremendous adversity, you know, over the years uh, since he was, com you know, competitively running and, you know, from a personal standpoint. And, and the thing is, you can be a world-class runner like Dick was at one stage and he can still consider himself because, you know, he's got all the, the times that back up everything, but even someone that is a world-class runner still has challenges in life and he's able to relate. And, you know, those tears are real that, that when Dick tells his stories that, you know, it, it gets people to think about their own personal life that, you know, that they've had some, challenges as well and and it's like wow, a world-class athlete such as dick beersley but he's a lot of similarities i i feel in, in some of these runners that you know finish in the middle or pack or finish in the back and i i'm experiencing i've experienced some similar things that dick has and he's a world-class athlete so i'm no different so we aren't any different pete we we all have the you know challenges where we have a road less traveled and um you know, if you think about the past year, you know, the pandemic has really affected all of us in a different way, but we can still relate to those, the challenge that we've had the last year. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Talk about Dick Bridgley. What maybe, because you have rubbed shoulders with the best in the country. Do you have any other unforgettable people that you want to talk about in the world of marathoning? Well, you, you look at a guy like Frank Shorter, who we have had as a guest speaker at Grandma's. I mean, in 1972, when he won in Munich, you know, we didn't even think that uh, the marathon was going to go off because of, you know, the uh, terrorism that was taking place there toward the end of the games. And, you know, he, he put the U.S. on the map and, you know, and he had a, I mean, being a high school senior and seeing him win the Olympic gold and, I have a similar somatotype that he is in terms of body and so forth. And, you know, some of my friends would call me, Oh, you look like Frank. And, but, but, you know, but, uh, you know, shorter was very inspiring to me as a young, you know, runner. And, and I, you know, there's things like that. Uh, you know, you think about, we've had Billy Mills who won the, the Olympic, uh, in, in, in six, what was that? 64 in Tokyo, the 10 K. I mean, we had him as a, as a speaker at, at grandma's and his story. And, and, and he showed that little three minute clip of his toward the end of that, that race in Tokyo was so inspiring. And, and, and of course, you know, it was just, uh, the, uh Ron Dawes, uh, the self-made Olympian, you know, he, uh, before his passing, he was very much involved with grandma's. And so, you know, there's so many people that have touched grandma's that have touched me you know, before I even came to grandma's. And, but those are a few that kind of come to mind, Pete. 
Yeah, and I think of Joni Benoit too, and and uh, you know what a great career Olympic gold medalist she had in Los Angeles. Uh, and and not everybody may know, uh, uh, but uh, usually these people come over to the announce booth, and uh, we get to interview them and talk to them. And I dare say that over our thirty plus years of working together, we have crossed paths at the finish line at Grammys with uh, just a. Uh, among the elite marathoners of the world. And, and they always add a great touch. I think that's a, a wonderful thing that grandma's does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, even, you know, we have Carrie Tolleson that's in the lead vehicle, you know, during the, the race. And in fact, just recently they had the NCAA division one cross country championships at my alma mater, Oklahoma state. And Carrie worked alongside, uh, I think it was Dan Anderson and some other uh, announcer uh, for you know, the women's and the men's race. And, and she even ran over the course and she did a phenomenal job. And it was so cool to see, you know, her you know, as part of that ESPN team and doing a wonderful job. So looking forward to seeing her this year as well. Yeah, she, she has really blossomed in a great career, very insightful uh, and another uh, Minnesota native that we can be really proud of. Um, so Mike, um, if you were pitching grandma's, for, uh, you know, a, a, a regular runner to come. It's a great course. We know that. What sort of things, you know, here, here's the floor to you to uh, sell grandmas and tell people why they should come. They should come to grandmas because they will feel very, very welcomed, first and foremost. Um, it's such a well-managed event. Um, and, I mean... It's a people's race. It definitely is. And typically a lot of uh, runners do not plan for a marathon at, you know, somewhere in the summertime because of the heat across the country. And we've been very fortunate to have some very good weather uh, at Grandma's. It's off of Lake Superior. It's cool, typically a, a little bit of a tailwind. And it's, it's you know, you can't train the weather, <laughs> but you know, when you look at uh, the weather forecast over the past 45 years, uh, almost every race has has had some great weather um, uh, with a, maybe a couple that we've seen some high humidity and, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, you know, grandma's is, 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 is unique in its own way and people need to just give it a shot. I mean, just come on up and to Duluth, if, if you can, if you can get into the race, because it's, it's, uh, it fills up very quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Mike, one of the things that get back to, uh, you know, you, you put the same passion into announcing that you have into, uh, that you had in running, um, and you make everybody out there count. What sort of, do you have a particular preparation style for going into an event or, or how do you, how do you dig deep and, and, and keep talking as much as you do and make everybody count? Well, uh, everybody counts because I, I'll give you a really good story. Um, Walt Stack, uh, you know, he has since passed away. He was an older guy, lived in San Francisco, swam the bay a lot, did lots of triathlons. There was this eight-mile race in the late 70s I ran from Oakland over the Bay Bridge to San Francisco. And, and before the start of the race, um, Walt was 
part of the organization of the race and he got up front and he's and obviously he did the same thing that a lot of starters do hey guys be careful out there you know especially at the beginning of the race and and you know listen to your body and if you're if you need to slow down slow down if you can't finish make just just don't put yourself at risk and and as he was telling us this he he, he looked at all the top runners and i ended up winning this race he, he said this is you know, this is back in 78 Pete. He said, and just make sure that you guys realize the farther I finish back, the better you guys up on front will look. And so, <laughs> so, so we're going to have, you know, mid middle of the pack runners and we're going to have people at the very back, but they're the one, they're part of the entire race, you know, and, and yes. Okay. The slowest one and the fastest one, the slower you run, the better you make them look, but that's okay. It's okay. Because, you you finished you, you you attain your goal and and that should be motivating for all of us at toe that line. And, and one thing that I, I I really felt compelling uh, in in the marathon and its distance is there's a universal universal nature uh, of the marathon. Everybody has to cover that distance, you know. And as we know, everybody has a story and. Um, it's uh, I, I, I just find that blend of uh, elites with everyone else uh, very, very compelling. I mean, the the marathon, it's not easy. You have to you have to work for it, whether you're doing 212 or or 405 or five hours or more, whatever. Um there, there's a, there's kind of a, I don't want to wax too poetic here, but there's, there's kind of a beauty in that. Yeah, there certainly is Pete, because everybody, like I had mentioned, uh, actually I was talking to one of my, my sales reps yesterday and, and I had no idea that she had, and she was new to my team and had no idea that she's run a couple of marathons and, you know, and, and she's trying to, she had some injuries uh, just recently. So she, uh, she's going to be back at the, at the, the preparation table to, to get ready for another marathon. And, and I mentioned to her about grandmas and she had, you know, she had not heard about grandmas before. And I go, that's a marathon that you probably might want to consider because it's so much fun and, and you'll be welcomed and so forth. But, but uh, I asked her, well, tell me a little bit more about the three marathons that you've run. And, and I, because those are, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you ran. It doesn't matter how slow you ran. Um, it's a story of, uh, in, in, you know, to your point about poeticness, uh, it's like uh, everybody's got a story on, on what they, how their training had gone and, 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 and what they experienced along the way. And, and everyone can relate to each other, especially those that did run in the race with them. Mike, is there one essential quality to marathoners, no, no matter what, um, uh, that goes from first to last in the race of, or, or maybe even better put, what was what was maybe the most essential quality you had to overcome at the height of your great career? Um, this this physiological problem, and and you're still at it, and you still love it. You were not defeated. What do you think about an essential quality of marathoners? I think it's the passion and and the perseverance, um, you know, that comes to mind that it's a love for running because, you know, as you plan and you start training, most of that training is done by yourself. And, 
And, you know, you get together uh, maybe on the long runs uh, on the weekend with a couple of folks and maybe a track workout during the week. But the majority of the training is, is most likely, you know, you're by yourself and, and it's what you do when no one's there with you. You know, are you continuously, you know, pushing the envelope and, and getting prepared and, and sticking to your game plan? Uh, because, you know, the coach can't be there in your ear all the time and, and, and the people that you train with can't be there all the time. You know, it's the, they, they call it, you know, the loneliness of the, the long distance runner. I mean, there's something to that that I don't know. Loneliness doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, you can say that it's not really a quality, but it, you have to be able to, to persevere through that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think of just the wonderful times we've had on that podium. Uh, and, and in all these years, you've become, a, a, for me, a much loved person, a, 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 an essential person of my life. That's, that's the kind of way you are. I think that's what Scott and Grandma saw very early on. And, um, you know, we, we were very lucky to, uh, to kind of be brought together by fate. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's been a, a great, uh, great time. And just, uh, I just, uh, missed it last year, obviously, um, for the, for the right reasons and, uh, to keep everybody safe and, but, uh, keeping our fingers crossed that, um, like I mentioned earlier that this, uh, we'll be seeing each other at grandma's here, uh, in June, mid June. Well, Mike, uh, any closing comments that you would like to share with our fans out there? You know, I just wanted to applaud, um, you know, the grandma's team, you know, those that are in that administrative uh, office upstairs uh, preparing and, and how they have shown passion for this event and as well as their perseverance. I mean, their go has been very similar to a marathon and, you know, they're in, the, in their cubicles and, and they're working hard to, to keep this event alive. Uh, through all the challenge that we had the past year. And so my hat goes off to them and, 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 you know, um, it's just uh, the team there is fantastic. So. Well, your, your perseverance, your kindness and graciousness, uh, Mike, uh, is, uh, is a lesson to all of us. And it's been such a great pleasure to talk with you. I'll look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Um, I admire you greatly as should everyone else. You're, you're a special man. Well, and Pete, likewise, looking forward to seeing you as well. And um, at the at the finish line up there on top. So. <laughs> we'll be there. All right. All right, Mikey. Thank you so very much. And folks, that's it for this week. The Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast is brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. New episodes will come out the second Wednesday of every month. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. And thanks again to our special guest for this episode, Michael Pinocci. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASEX. Run fast, run fire, and have fun, everybody. The race is coming up soon. I'm Peter Graves. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. So long. <laughs>